0: Okay, hello and welcome to another episode of Blue Royalty, a London is Blue podcast dedicated to the Chelsea women's team. I'm your second host, Abdullah Abdullah. I'm back again, uh, this time without Jesse once again, and you would have heard Jesse last week. Um, but today, you know what? Things happen, things change, situations come up, things go out of your control. But you can only control the controllables, and that's kind of what I had to do today. So... Raise up that bat signal one more time, and uh, it was it was it was a pretty crunch one because I, I really really did need somebody, and everybody is busy with the World Cup. But since joined by a new host today, uh, a debut for a devout Everton fan, you know it's it's Stephen Conroy, and we're here to check in with the round of 16 matches
1: that have been played with some
0: pretty interesting um, results. Stephen, how are you doing? Welcome to the pod. How how does how are you feeling?
1: Um, I'm feeling good, thanks. Thanks for having me on. I know I'm not um, a Chelsea a Chelsea fan, but I can find my best. Yeah, I'm feeling good. The World Cup's been good. There's a lot of stories heading into the quarterfinals, coming out of the round of 16. I think dominated by Chelsea with the return of Sam Kerr, the Lauren James incident, should we say. Um, so yeah, I'm feeling good and looking forward to talking about it.
0: Yeah, no, you 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 touched on it there. A lot of interesting talking points, a lot of interesting stories. Kind of, I know you touched on it there, but how are you kind of finding the tournament so far from a a narrative perspective? And maybe even let's just go, let's hit it. I mean, you're you're a tactics guy like myself, so I I know we can get a lot into this. How are you finding it tactically through the tournament in general? And considering that. A lot of people and all of a lot of us were complaining about the fact that, you know, it may not be as good just because we've lost so many great players. But, you know, how have you felt? Because I I think it's been pretty good, all things considered.
1: Yeah, tactically I think the level is probably the best level we've seen at a tournament, at least that I can remember. I can't speak going back too far, but I think it's the best tactically that I've seen teams like Japan, teams like like England have switched systems, have adapted to situations, injuries, to to excel, to give players opportunities that maybe haven't had opportunities in past tournaments. I think, yeah, I think it's been really promising for the future of women's football that we're seeing this level of tactical quality and ingenuity. And, I think we're going to see more of that as we go through the tournament. Obviously, England, for example, have Lauren James suspended now, and we're going to see how they adapt to that. I don't think there's a player that matches what she offers the team, so we might see another tactical switch. I don't think it's as simple as just putting Ella Toon into the role that Lauren James was playing because she doesn't offer the same on-ball qualities. So I think it's going to be interesting to see how the tactical aspect of this tournament continue to continue to change and grow as we head towards the latter stages where usually the games are cagey, but hopefully not this time.
0: Yeah, no, fair enough. That makes sense. Um, all right, you know, I'll ask you this question later, kind of who's impressed you the most. I think let's just go through it and maybe that, that answer may or may not change. But um, look, you know what? I think I think for me personally, I think I agree with you. I think I think the, the level has been better than I expected it to be. I, I feel like we've gotten a lot more... High quality games across the board than we have probably in in tournaments past. I mean, I've I've probably only watched personally with with like keen interest the last two major tournaments, which is the Euros and the 2019 World Cup, which is kind of kind of when I when I came in and joined. So for me, that's that's where I have to go back and 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 compare against. And and while 2019 was was great, I feel like 2023 has given given us a lot more. You know, a lot more talking points, a lot more teams have been competitive here. Um, we've seen a lot more storylines and I think tactically everyone's just gotten a lot better than they were four years ago. You know, even the Euros last year, we saw some great teams and some great performances. You know, I remember the Scotland, Argentina groups that, that were there. That was that was an interesting one, and the way they played. I mean, even look this time, the the likes of Morocco getting out of the group, and, and they 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 were given no chance. Germany knocked out early. The U.S. and Sweden was a fantastic game tactically for me, one of the best ones from a tactical perspective. So there's a lot of a lot of things that have happened here that I think I think we can we can appreciate and kind of go from there. But you know what? Let's let's get straight into it. You know, let's let's go into what we've seen so far and kind of what we're. What we're here to do so we're going to start off with australia very quickly obviously they play denmark you know uh, uh up early on the weekend and 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 they won they advance australia goes through to the quarterfinal, home world cup i mean you, you couldn't have asked for more if you're an australian you know they beat denmark with two goals to nil an ex you know an ex-chelsea player in panela hardas denmark they they knock her out with goals from Haley rasso and caitlin ford um First of all, what's, what's impressed you about Australia, Stephen? What, what, what is it about them so far that that's, do you think it's taken them to this point of reaching a quarterfinal? What has kind of been the standout for you, especially considering they've had no Sam Kerr up to, up to now, except for the last 10 minutes of that game against Denmark, which, which we'll talk about. But considering no Sam Kerr, did you expect them to be this good?
1: Yeah, Australia, I think coming into the tournament, I was confident on their chances, even with the tough group, I thought they had the most quality of all the teams in that group. The Sam Kerr injury right before kickoff against Ireland the day before, I think, had a lot of people worried. But still, with it being a home tournament, I think I think they still fancied the chances. I've been impressed with Van Egmond in that more advanced role. I think Caitlin Ford and Hayley Rasser have both been really, really good. But I think Van Egmond... A lot of people might not have been familiar with her before the tournament. A lot of people who were tuning into this World Cup and might not be viewers. They might only watch the WSL, Liga F. I don't think they would have been very familiar with Van Egmond, but I think the role in which she's played at such short notice as well. Nobody expected Sam Kerr to miss basically the first four games of the tournament. And I think that was really an interesting adjustment from Australia because it wasn't the clear. When we heard that Sam Kerr was injured, I don't think everyone thought right that it Van Eggman's Van Eggman's going up top. I think maybe we just thought mm, they'll adjust, they'll put Caitlin Ford up there and see how she does, maybe. Or so I think that's been a really interesting tactical adjustment. And really I think they've dealt well without Sam Kerr in terms of they've grown. The the first game against Ireland was shaky, a classic opening game of a home World Cup where it's only ever going to be a one-nil game. and um, they got through that. Steph Catley scored for penalty. against a very solid defensively island side. So I don't think you can complain too much about that. The second game against Nigeria was... It's probably been forgotten about now, but it's one of the best games of the tournament. The 3-2 Nigeria victory. And I think after that, Australia had one point after two games. And you're going into that game against Canada, needing to win or they were out. And they just came out right out of the blocks. They played fast, high tempo. They just... Canada couldn't really match them in terms of intensity, in terms of their tactical approach to the game and in terms of quality on the pitch as well. I think Australia just bulldozed through them and now I think we're seeing a really confident Australia team against Denmark. They struggled maybe in the opening 20 minutes. Penelah Harder was probably getting on the ball in areas that you don't want to get on the ball if you're Australia. But I think once they adjusted to that, and they figured that out. I think, again, they breezed through the second half. I think Denmark, in a game they were chasing, I'm not sure of the numbers, but I don't think they put up many high-quality chances at all. And then, obviously, with 10 minutes left, you get Sam Kerr's back, and suddenly you're three games away from a World Cup final and your best players back fit. And suddenly it looks like Australia are one of the favourites for the tournament, would you say? yeah
0: oh. Favours of a tournament yeah i mean they've played denmark and they they got through their group and and they played denmark and I, I think for me they played really well i want to see them against a real like like obviously the next game against france is going to be the real test and i think if you can beat france then you've then you're really i think a really a favorite to go through and beat because i think if you can beat france with the way france have been playing You've, you've got a chance against England and, and whoever else is on the other side and Sweden, Japan and and whatnot. Because then you probably got... And then it takes kind of time, it, like you said, the way that Sam Kerr has just come back right on time for, for, the, for the for the most important games and they kind of got through without her, I think is, is almost too much of a fairy tale of a story, which is great. Um, so kind of touching on, on Sam Kerr there. So what do you think did... You know, how, how was her 10-minute cameo for you and... Do you think she made enough of a difference in her cameo to show that she's made the team better? Do do you think, I mean, is there a world that we can live in where Sam Kerr doesn't actually start the next game because they've been playing so well without her and she bring her on as an impact sub? Do
1: you you see that anywhere? I think if Sam Kerr is fully 100% fit and there's zero chance of aggravating the issue that she has, I think there is no world in which you go into a knockout game and don't start Sam Kerr. I don't, I don't care if they've won every game 10-0 so far. I think you still start Sam care. It just all depends on how fit she actually is. I think even coming on in the Denmark game, I think she still didn't warm up before the game, still standing there in that big puffer jacket, watching on as she's been doing all tournament. But as for her cameo, I thought she looked impressive. It's hard to judge off a 10-minute cameo. They were already 2-0 up, so... Denmark were pushing, so she didn't really, it wasn't like Australia were dominating possession and she was able to nip around and link up play and run the channels and occupy the box. There wasn't really much of that. There was one incident where she got the ball in in a wide-ish area and she carried it well, committed defenders and then had a shot from just inside the box, which she looked good when she was running with the ball in that instance. No, no issues. She didn't look any slower than usual. She looked the usual athletic self. So that's good. There was more importantly, I think, in terms of her recovery, there was an incident where the ball was kind of coming up and she jumped for it. And then she landed really awkwardly and was sort of holding that that injured area a little bit after it. And I think the whole of Australia held the breath. I think every Chelsea fan watching at home probably held the breath. But about a minute later, she was given the thumbs up to the bench, and she finished out the game. I don't know if she's spoken to the media yet about if she's in a position to start the next game. I think she's been very she's played for media well so far this tournament, as have Gustavsson, the whole entire everyone associated with Australia. So we'll see if she's able to start. But yeah, I think she looked impressive enough for a ten minute cameo.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you're if you're uh, if you're Sam Kerr. You're gonna you're gonna fight tooth and nail. She'll probably take call like even if they bench her, she'll be like she's like no, I'm starting, and you probably wouldn't be able to stop it, right? Like it's this one of, it's one of those things. are home tournament, um, Samka not being able to really play a part yet, she'll be itching to get on that pitch and and make a contribution, you know, and at the very least try and push um, push Australia into into the into the semifinals of a. Uh, of a world cup, especially at home. I mean, what other chance? I mean, France had this opportunity four years ago to, to to win a home up and they had arguably their, their golden generation in a, at a much younger age, four years younger. Uh, And they obviously missed out. So obviously this is, this is Australia's chance to do the same thing. Um, But yeah, no, I think, I think the game against France is probably my favorite tie of, of, of the round of the quarterfinals. I think it's going to be the closest one. I mean, if, if, France got the easiest of the round of 16. They've definitely got the hardest, I think, of the round of, uh, of the quarterfinals. So I think that'll be exciting. And, and, and you know, we'll probably come back to, um, we'll come back and talk about the next round, maybe maybe later in the show. So before we go on to the next one, let's just take a quick ad break and, and thanks sponsors for financially supporting the show. Okay, we're back. So I think let's quickly let's quickly jump into the Netherlands here. Obviously, not too much to talk home about to take home about for uh, from a Chelsea perspective. Anik Nawa on the bench yet again, um, but a, but a good quick early win for for the Netherlands against South Africa. You know, two nil win early morning. I think it was a five in kickoff for myself, so um, nothing too crazy. Steven, obviously, you saw this game. Um, yeah, it was. Uh, I was actually at the gym so I didn't actually get to watch the whole thing live. I will not lie. I was actually at the gym at about 5:36. Um but listen, thoughts on their defensive performance so far from the Dutch and 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 do you think there's do you think now improves his defense at all or do you think that the Dutch can kind of go as they are and and maybe come when they come up against the Spanish and, and kind of survive it or do you think they've been they've been lucky so far?
1: i worry for the Netherlands. I think offensively they've been really good. They're one of the only teams who have gone into a game against supposed weaker opposition like Vietnam and dominated. They're capable of putting up high-quality chances, scoring really good goals, as they've done. Um, Defensively is where I do worry. I don't think it's so much a personnel issue with the centre-backs, so I'm not sure if would would help that too much. I'm more worried about the wing-backs who I think are helping them offensively a lot, but I think def- defensively we've seen against the USA and we've seen definitely in this South Africa game in the first half that if you attack in transition against this Netherlands team and you throw bodies forward and you get in between that gap between the wing-backs and the centre-backs, there is definitely chances to be created. South Africa, I think we're really unlucky not to, at least not draw this game, take it to extra time. If you look at the Netherlands goals, it was a corner which Jill Rod is on the goal line and it luckily falls onto her head. She could not miss. And then a goalkeeper error from a shot from outside of the box where the keepers obviously dropped the ball into a net. So on the basis of chances on the balance of play, I think the Netherlands are lucky to have made it to the quarterfinals. I'm interested to see heading into this round if they do switch those wing backs. Palov has been really good on the ball, but I'm not sure if as a right wing back against the quality of the teams that they're playing now, if they can get away with that. We saw against the USA, who are obviously the best side they've played so far. In that second half, it was all USA. Then everyone's couldn't get out of their own half. USA just kept coming forward and creating chances. And I think when you get to the latter stages of these tournaments, they've basically got three defenders on the pitch because they're playing two wing-backs who are naturally attack-minded players. And the centre-backs that they are playing aren't the most athletically gifted, so they can't always get across to cover the wide areas. And I think that's where they're being exposed, especially against South Africa, who just pushed bodies forward in transition, ran at pace, and just exploited, exploited. And luckily for the Netherlands, Van Zromsalaar was our their usual high level a got player of the match and they just about squeaked through but I'm not sure if they'll have the same level of luck against a Spain or a Japan or even an England or France
0: yeah I agree with you I think I think to me that's probably one of the tactical trends that I've kind of I don't even know if it's tactical but I feel like most of the defenses at this World Cup have been extremely reliant on their goalkeepers bailing them out. I think, I think more than the, the actual defence protecting the team, it's the goalkeepers putting in performance after performance. You can only take Van Domslaar as a huge example, where I feel like if it wasn't for her, the Netherlands probably would have been out earlier or they would have conceded a lot more goals because she's been absolutely insane ever since she's come into the side, of, you know, when she came into the Euros with that injury last year. And she walked in, and even now, just to say, I mean, that, I think that game against um, South Africa, she, would, she was a man of the match, like you said, and, you know, absolutely dominated that game. Just just look at look at Musovic against the USA. I mean, literally, if it wasn't for Musovic it, it would have been like 3-0, 4-0 down, you know, and, and Sweden would have probably crashed out, you know, at a worse result than what actually came. And I mean, I, I thought, I mean, we'll get into it later, but that Lindsay Horan shot and that save was... For me, the save of the tournament for me, but um, but the point is, it's goalkeepers doing good doing the work, and you know if you have a good goalkeeper, you're probably gonna be you're probably gonna be saved and and, and kind of moving moving forward because I think at this point everybody can probably name the, the goalkeepers that have that have that have really shone for most of the teams rather than a specific defender that's really done really really well, you know, um, so no, I I think I think that's 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 a that's a good breakdown on, on the Dutch. So let's let's move on to france here as i, I you know it's, it's france france are a, they're they're a weird team for me i i've been following the french side probably since i've since i've come into women's football for me they're like the, the team that I, I i closely keep an eye on um you know uh, along with england and to me france i think they i think they they were experimenting in the first game in preseason obviously however not, it's come in in the last couple of months he's kind of Brought in a lot of old players and a lot of new players, kind of overhauled the squad a little bit, testing out the players, who he wants to play where. You know, Mael Lacra kind of played at right back for a while. And then the first game of the the tournament, she plays at right back and then suddenly doesn't work. You know, it's not working the way he wanted to work. They lost that preseason friendly against Australia. You know, it was all very strange. And then in the second game against Brazil, You know, he changes it up. He brings Yves Parisey into the side at right back. You know, uh, he moves Lacroix into a natural more centre-back role. And suddenly, you know, we see a lot... uh, Ken Zadali steps into midfield, obviously. And then we suddenly see a lot more of a comprehensive French side than we have before. And, you know, a lot of people um, might point out the fact that, okay, except for Brazil who France really played, how they kind of, you know, look, they got Morocco in this round of 16 and everything. And yes, they got a 4 0 win against Morocco, which was undoubtedly a uh, a route. And they were very clinical there. If we're starting off from a Chelsea perspective, I thought Yves Parisey played, started again, played really well. I think she's been very consistent, very, um, very, very, very consistent and kind of she's just been solid you know and and, and kind of given that balance to allow Sakina Kershawi to kind of run down the left wing and let Salma Basha and, and Kershawi kind of do their thing on the left um, and then and then Diani to do her thing and you know on the right hand side giving her that protection what have you made of France so far and let's talk let's start with the Morocco game was there anything from there that you think that stood out Was is there is there do you, how good do you think Yves Paris has been? I mean, is she has she quietly been underrated this World Cup so far just from this World Cup performances?
1: I think she's definitely been underrated, and I think that's a theme. I think she's been underrated to the Chelsea the past WSL season as well. I think she's a really, really good player. I was surprised, maybe, to not see her start the first game. I think she goes a bit unnoticed in this front side because on the left side, you've got Karshawe, who has been... If you were picking a team off the tournament now, I think she'd have to be in there. So I think she maybe goes a little understated because of that, maybe because she sits a little bit deeper on the right hand side. She's not making those those overlapping runs. She's not. I mean, she's a she's a good offensive player, but she's maybe not as as eye-catching as Karshawi has been in that sense. But I think in terms of the overall balance to France and what she's enabled them to do tactically, I think she's been key. I think she's been vital to them as a as a team and I think Hervé Renard has realized that as the tournament's gone on how important she is to this front side. The game against Morocco is a hard one to judge because it was 3-0 after 20 minutes so at that point it's basically it's, it's a 20 minute game because France take the foot off the gas Morocco and maybe shut and shop a little bit playing for playing for pride. I think in those first 20 minutes, though, France looked really dangerous, and Morocco are a good team. I think you made the point that people might say France have had an easy route to the quarterfinals. I think I disagree. I think Jamaica, in the first game, where they conceded one goal, all tournament, and that was to Colombia, obviously, in the round of 16. And then they've played Brazil, who crashed out in the groups, but I don't think anybody's seen that coming. Panama, Panama were already eliminated. I think that game was a write-off really. And then Morocco, who again, really impressed against Germany, against Colombia, against decent sides, and France made them made them look not at the level. France came out and made it look like those games four years ago where the parity wasn't fair that we have now. Um, I recall the USA versus Thailand game, where after 10 minutes, you're really worrying about the scoreline. And I think it was the same here with it being 3-0 after 15, 20 minutes. Morocco have done so well to get to this point. And then you're looking at that scoreline and you're thinking, oh no, let's not. Let's not do this, please. And I think France, what strikes me about France is every team at this tournament, seems to have a subplot, an issue of some sort. Australia have Sam Kerr, Spain have the entire Vida situation. England have had the Kira Walsh injury and now the Lauren James suspension. France are just powering through. The vibes in that squad seem to be at an all-time high, compared to, especially compared to what we've seen over the last few years. And I think that as well as, obviously, the tactical and the technical quality of France and of Renard as a manager. I think that unity and togetherness is so important in a tournament, and I think France tick every box. If you were looking for a tournament winner, what do international tournament winners possess? I think fans tick every box in terms of the unity of the squad, the quality. They've got a really good manager who has international tournament experience, albeit in men's football. So I think France are in a very good position heading in to this game against Australia. And I think you're right in what you said before. This is going to be a very interesting game.
0: Yeah, no, you're right. And I, and I think, OK, I mean, let, okay, let's be real. I think France have had their fair share of controversy and issues for the last like couple of years. So I think I think they, they, they slightly deserve a un, uh, an uninterrupted and uncontroversial uh, World Cup, you know, whilst everybody else is there. Um, no, but you're right. I mean, you look at the French squad, right? Everyone's, bar the two substitute goalkeepers, Durand and, and, and Pichot, everybody else has played minutes. I mean, yes, Assiso Tunkara has played one minute of one game. Fair enough. But she's technically stepped foot on the pitch, right? She's been there. And, and to me, the fact that he's played pretty much his entire squad, and I think the best way to utilize a squad and kind of go through a tournament, right, because we see a lot of teams and a lot of coaches they kind of go and say, right, you know, we're going to, we, we have a squad of 23 really. We only trust 18. Sure. The goalkeepers are there just for the, we need goalkeepers. and, And in case something happens, our number ones, you kind of leave them out that leaves you with really a squad of 21. And from the 21, you're using 18, maybe 17 at the most part. Right. Especially with five subs now, but with France, it feels like, yes, yes. You know, he's got a starting 11, but he's used the gains properly. Right. When, when, um, Perese didn't start, he used Lacroix at right back and he brought in Estel Cascarino at center back. Then he switched it up to bringing in Lacroix at right, you know, centre back and Yves Perese at right back. Then there was a game, and then the last game, Elise de Almeida started at centre back, you know, and there was a game again, I think it was Panama where Estel Cascarino started playing at left back. You know, Kers- Kershaw, was rested. So I feel like he's utilized Vicky Becho sorry, has come on, uh, played cameos and played really well. Mateos started the first game, you know, Major started the first game. Uh, Lea Ligaric played a game against Panama as well. Uh, Lorena Fazer has played a game. So, I mean, you've got these players who probably wouldn't have usually been started and maybe under Diacra, they wouldn't have actually played more than maybe five, 10 minutes at the very most in if they were winning against Panama or something. But to me, it feels like he's given enough players game time to keep them fresh, keep the morale up. And also, if there is an, in case there's an injury of sorts, no one is completely out of the way um, of the way they want to play everyone has an understanding and, and knows what they need to do because they've been in game situations they've been at the world cup they've they've actually been at part of um you know the, the the team there so to me i think i think that's been probably the highlight for me and, and, and I, I think i think you're right if paris i think has been so, to, totally underrated i think uh both yes at chelsea i think i think i think i think she started off okay and then towards the end of the season, she really started picking up and, and 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 putting in some solid performances. And I think she's only going to get better. And I think now with France, I think we're really seeing the real leave Paris. There. And I think probably in the next game next game or so, I think we're going to start seeing France really buckle down because I think they know that, that Morocco was going to be an easier game for them. And then Australia is going to be tough. I mean, it's probably the toughest game they may even face for the rest of the tournament, right? Because home crowd you're probably playing in a in a 50 60 70,000 capacity stadium with 80% of that crowd against you you know and and you're weirdly maybe the slight favorites at 51 49 that's how I'm going to put it there's a lot of pressure on France right in a in a weird way but I think I think they'll be able to cope with that i mean if havernard like you said he's he's taken a saudi arabia team and beaten argentina with messi and that was the only game that argentina lost and then he went they went to the world cup so if there's anything about pressure he knows against teams being, you know, crowds overwhelming his team, then he's the guy and he'll know exactly what to tell them. I'm just excited for another halftime French video team talk releasing on social media. I swear, I think that camera guy, I think they just put it in there and it's just becoming a thing now. Uh, I just wish the next one has subtitles so we know what it is. Uh, what he's saying but it just i feel hyped and motivated even though i have no clue what he's saying in french we get the message we feel the passion <laughs> exactly just feel the passion like i'm sitting at my desk watching the game but i just want to get up and now go play play a half or however not you know um no but I, I think i think france are good and i think i think um the australia game probably is going to be the, the game of the the round and my, my favorite though it's gonna be nerve-wracking intense but look, let's take a quick second ad break, and we're going to come back, and we're going to talk about England and, and Sweden, probably the two um, the two teams that have really had contrasting uh, fortunes, though they both uh, they both won. So we'll be right back. Right, Stephen, I think I think let's get into England. I think I think we've we, we need to touch on on the English team here, and 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 kind of talk about what happened there, and kind of what didn't happen over there. So. They obviously beat Nigeria on penalties, 5-4, uh, 5-3, and you know, it was a nervy victory at the end of the day at the end of the day. Went to penalties. England haven't looked at their fluent best so far in the tournament, right? Um, China was probably the exception, but with all due respect, it was China. Uh, who who've who've who looked decent. They've got a, couple of, got a couple of decent players in there, like Wang Shuang and and, and and whatnot. But England should be beating these these kinds of oppositions, being European champions. What have you kind of put down their their nerviness and their kind of, you know, influency, um, non-fluency, if I can can
1: call it that, so far? I think this is a theme we've seen with England for a while, post-Euro's. I think injuries, we've mentioned them a lot, but they play a big part. Leah Williamson in progressing from the back has been a big miss. Beth Mead, in terms of having a goal threat out wide who can occupy the box and make runs in behind, has been a huge miss, in my opinion. Because Lauren Hemp and Chloe Kelly, as great as they are in terms of their athleticism, Chloe Kelly seems to score in every big moment for England over the last year or so. I don't think they have the box threat and the ability to get on the end of crosses and passes that Beth Mead has. And I think that's took away a lot of England's goal threat. I think that's the main issue because I think defensively, albeit against Haiti in that first game, it was... I think coming out of that, England were really lucky to have got a result. But since then, I think it's been improved. China, you expect an, e- like an easier game. Denmark, I felt England dealt well. I think that's probably. Defensively, England's standout performance against Denmark. I think at that point, Denmark was still struggling with the identity of their team. Panella Harder was playing as the nine. And I don't think that was working out for them. But England still did what they had to do. I think going forward... It's going to be a bit of a struggle now, especially without Lauren James, which I'm sure we'll touch on in a moment. I think Lauren James, I I went through before. England have scored seven goals at this tournament and Lauren James has had a direct hand in six of them. So that's a huge miss because now you're looking for players to contribute to goals who have not yet contributed to goals in an England-shirted tournament. I think it was good for Alessio Russo to get on the score sheet the other week um, against in the final group game against China. I think that'll be good for her confidence. I think I like what Serena Wiegmann is doing with this five at the back system in that it's five at the back, but you're still getting Rachel Daly occupying positions in the box when the ball is right right. We're not playing them up front, which I think a lot of people would still like to see even at this point. But I think it's the best of both worlds in a way. Because you get that familiarity of she's played on the left hand side for England before, obviously during the entire Euros campaign. And now she's also mixing that with being a left wing back box threat, which I'm not sure many people thought would be the outcome pre tournament, but it's worked so far. What do you think about the five at the back system? Would you like do you think that should stay?
0: that was quite quite honestly that was the the next thing I was going to touch on so so I'll I'll think I'll I'll kick that one off then I see I I thought actually as a considering how stubborn and kind of you know one tactic system that Serena is you know plays you know like she's always been the manager to kind of stick to one system not really deviate too much from the even personnel wise and kind of Plan A is Plan A, and we need to make Plan A work, and that's how obviously they won the Euros with small adjustments, um, that were required. Um, I actually, I like the back three. I think I think maybe it's not executed as well um, at this tournament, but I do like the back three because I think that the majority of the 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 top players in the England squad have have played at a, a, a three at the back system in some way. You take the Chelsea players, obviously. Millie Bright, Jess Carter, Neve Charles, um, Beth England at, at one point as well. They've all um they've all played in a back three system quite recently. And in in a way, I think when you lose Leah Williamson, you lose Beth Mead, you know, you lose these sort of players, and obviously Kira Walsh was was had a scare for a bit there as well. I think it's not a totally bad idea to to maybe switch at the three of the back. And I think after those first couple of games, I think Serena realized that when Yes, I think when they went down to 10 and they switched to the 4, they looked a little bit more fluent, but I think it just kind of gives you both the, the defensive solidity and especially when your fullbacks aren't, both fullbacks, let's be real, aren't defensively the best. Neither Lucy Bronze doesn't have the athleticism. I think, to while I think she has the, the capabilities to attack and defend, I don't think she has the athleticism anymore to do both for 90 minutes constantly and still be able to defend her spaces in behind, while I still think she's a really good defender. Rachel Daly is a striker, playing as a left back or a left wing back. But what I liked about it is that I liked Daly's left wing back, aka second striker-ish sort of role. She took a lot of positions in the box. And for me, what that does is it allows a Lauren James, who's maybe playing in like this number 10 position, who, again, not, not really a position that she usually plays for Chelsea, but I feel like it just kind of gives her the space and kind of gives her the the players to service if if required, and those three can kind of combine together with Russo to to do it. And I think from a from a from a back three perspective, you have someone like Jess Carter, who's an excellent one v one defender, Millie Bright, who kind of just like leads teams whether it's in a back three, back four in the middle. And I think when you've got someone like Alex Greenwood, who's who's the left footer and the thing, and who's got very good playmaking abilities, I think it allows you to be able to then almost play. Alex as your main playmaker, progressor off the left. Millie can do it with long diagonals as well. And then you're not relying completely on Kira Walsh to do the job because as we saw, you know, in, in the group stages, it was very easy for teams to just end up double marking Kira Walsh and say all right we just let Kira Walsh you know we just double mark her and then let's see what England do because they don't have that that secondary threat in Leah Williamson because that's was the big thing about the Euros right Williamson was able to step forward and take up that role of being the secondary playmaker after Kira Walsh if she wasn't available and I feel like with having Jess Carter and Millie Bright there's almost your de facto back to you kind of give Greenwood this left-back, left-centre-back role to kind of be the free player to, to do the playmaking for you alongside um, Kira Walsh or a Katie Zellum, depending on who's playing. So I think it's it's important to have the, the two Chelsea centre-backs kind of playing there because let's not forget, a lot of teams will play in the half spaces and you need defenders who can defend that space and who don't want to go forward, right? And in Millie Bright and Jess Carter, you've got two players who are supposed to be really good defending. Yes, I think in this game, the half spaces is where... Nigeria targeted and 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 they got the better of them and I I feel like Jess had a decent game um not the best but a decent game and Millie Bright was 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 Millie Bright and I feel like she's slowly getting into the to the rhythm and fitness of the game um but but what did you think of the back three and the performances of of the of the the Chelsea duo at the back and 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 where did you where did you see that going for, for the rest of the tournament?
1: I think the biggest benefactors of the back three in the the England side have probably been the Millie Bright and Jess Carter-Giro. Because I think in that first game against Haiti with the back four, it it wasn't easy for them. I think Millie Bright, it was her first game in many months, and she was trying to be herself. She was being aggressive and pushing up, and she just kept getting caught out because her legs weren't underneath her yet. She hadn't got the match fitness. And so she'd push up and be aggressive. Haiti would nick the ball behind her. And time after time, Jess Carter was getting left 1v1, which admittedly she dealt with well, I thought, personally, given the circumstances. But now with this back five, it enables Millie Bright to be aggressive. And you've got Alex Greenwood back there as well now. You've got more cover. So if the opposition do nip the ball past her or she doesn't get to her header in time to a tackle, There's a lot more protection than just Jess Carter on her own, hoping she can stop a three-on-one every single time the other team come forward. Jess Carter I've been really impressed with. Um, I wasn't sure if Jess Carter should have started the tournament for England, but I think now you can't take her off the team, especially in this back-three system, where I think she's played probably the best football of her career for Chelsea in a back-three system, and now we're seeing that for England as well. She just seems so much more comfortable. She seems a lot more composed with the ball when she has it in the areas that she can take up. And I think that 1v1 defending is a lot more more vital than when she's playing in a two at the back system and she's maybe not getting brought into 1v1 duels much compared to in a back three, where you are engaging the attackers more because you've got that protection with two other centre-backs. Now she can showcase her 1v1 defending ability, which I think she's done well. And yeah, I think I've been impressed. I'm surprised that Millie Bright has managed to look so good so quick because after that Haiti game, I was a little bit worried in that, oh, if we rushed her back, is she not quite ready yet? But I think she's grown into the tournament, which you'd expect. I don't think she was ever going to not allow herself to do that, especially as captain now. I think it was only a matter of time before we seen the best of Millie Bright. We've not quite got the goals yet. like we did at the Arnold Clark Cup a few years ago. So maybe it won't just be centre-back shifts. We might be seeing some really bright up front in these latter stages um, if if the scoreline isn't going to plan. But I think overall it's been a surprising change by Serena. I was expecting when Keira Walsh went down in that game that we'd just put Georgia Stanway in that role and just plug the gaps and hope for the best. But she was brave and she made the adjustments, which we've never really seen in in her coaching career at this level. And she switched to the back five. And I don't think there's any argument to be made that it's not benefited England. We'll see against better opposition. How it looks, especially offensively with Lauren James missing, because I'm not too confident on our ability to create chances without Lauren James. But I think if there's any team that can grind out 1-0 wins, without maybe the most fluid attack and play, it's probably a Savina Viegman national side of a tournament. So yeah. I think that bodes well.
0: That's that's very specific. So I mean let's 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 talk about the elephant in the room here. I mean Lauren James, the red card, the emotion, the tension, the moments, David Beckham, all the memories kind of flood back in for everybody. I think, I think I think she struggled this game. I think I think Nigeria did a good job in, in kind of marking her out in the spaces and kind of not giving her the space that she wanted to kind of run that midfield attacking midfield area. And I think a little bit of an experience at, at this level and, and, and kind of the red card was kind of born of frustration, which obviously she shouldn't have done. She's acknowledged as much. And, you know, everyone kind of said the same thing. What did you, th- what do you think? I mean, if if Nigeria were able to kind of keep her this quiet, going into the next round, obviously they're playing Colombia. I'm assuming Colombia would have would have employed a similar tactic. And let's just jump ahead for one second, right? And let's say in another universe, Lauren James doesn't get sent off. England beats Colombia in the next round as well. They come up against, let's assume France, right? Just because we want we want a spicy semifinal. Do you think she would? how do you think she would perform against the likes of a France? Because I'm assuming playing a back three, England would want to be play a bit more counter-attacking style. Do you think she would benefit more against a France or, you know, or or would she come come to the same thing? Because if James isn't playing and she's been the best player in the last couple of games and obviously struggles against Nigeria, do you think there would have been a change anyway going into the next game or would Lauren James have started anyway?
1: I think she would have started anyway. I think Savina Wegman is a huge fan of Ella Toon. so I think there's always that question there. I was shocked to see Ella Toon not play when Lauren James came in. I think it's what everyone was calling for, but I don't think many expected it to happen. I think we would have kept Lauren James in just because her performances in that group stage were so impressive. She was easily England's best performer, especially in an attacking sense, that I think one game in which she was marked really, really well out of the game by Nigeria. I think you have to you have to look past that. You have to mark it down as a bad day at the office. I think she has to make adjustments herself. I think her movement off ball has to be a little bit better because I think she made it a tiny bit too easy for herself to be tracked throughout the entire game. But I think if you make those adjustments, even against a team like France, who are a better side than Nigeria. I think you'd be in a good position. I think England are a lot weaker without Lauren James than with Lauren James. In the starting eleven. you look now, assuming that the five of the back system plays, if you're if you're France, if you're any team coming up against England, say, in the latter stages, if they get past Colombia, you're a lot more confident facing an England team with Elatoone in that number 10 position than Lauren James, in my opinion especially with the system the way it is. I don't think it really suits Alatune. So I think Lauren James would be a sure starter for as long as England are in the tournament. I think she was going to come off just before that red card. I think that's when the change was going to be made, which makes it even more tough to take because 10 more seconds and that situation doesn't happen and you're going into this game with Lauren James fully fit and available. But that's the way it goes. I think I can't see any further huge tweaks by Savina, whether that's to the lineup or to the system. I think I think one will be enough for this tournament. Yeah. <laughs> I think the pilot's the back system change. I think that if we do see anything, I think it'll just be a revert back to the back to the four three three that we've seen throughout a I don't think we'll see anything too too outlandish whether we get Lauren James back, hopefully for England's sake they do or not. I think you're looking at the five at the back system or you're looking at 4-3-3. Three, three.
0: Fair enough. No, I, I I can definitely I can definitely see um I can definitely see that. And and yeah, Ella Two not playing I think I think is huge. And though I, I do want to see her come on as like impact sub as she did against the Euros. And see, you know see how she she does over there. Kind of very quickly just kinda of, kinda of finish off this section. In a form of blue, Beth England comes on, finally gets some more minutes at, you know, at, at strike and actually plays another finally. good cameo. Yeah, finally, plays another good cameo, dispatches that penalty. Oof, that was a brilliant penalty from from Beth England. And it, kind of quickly, what did you make of her? Do you think she should be starting over Russo? Because again, a lot of question marks on Russo. Rachel Daly should be playing up front. Beth England maybe should get a chance. Um, I think it was you that tweeted um, about bringing on Beth England earlier in the game. So kind of tell me, what did you make of her and, and do you think she should start the next game?
1: First of all, I'm a huge Alessia Russo fan. I think bigger than a lot of England supporters at the minute who are maybe getting a little bit fed up with the starting experience of Alessia Russo. I've seen a lot of opinions saying that she should be an impact sub like she was at the Euros behind Ellen White when it worked so well. If I was going to start anyone in place of her, it would be Beth England over Rachel Daly. Because I think Beth England, Rachel Daly's a huge threat in the box. She's the best finisher in the England squad by far, I think. But I also think if she's not getting high quality chances, as a striker, she's a little bit, she's maybe not providing much else compared to Alessia Russo or Beth England. And this England team doesn't deal in high quality chances a lot of the time. So... I don't think it's as simple as plugging Rachel Daly in there and suddenly we'll start scoring goals. I think with Beth England, she offers you a lot more in the other aspects of play than Rachel Daly. I'd also just really like to see Beth England start because I think it's a really nice story. and I think she's done really well to get to this position where she's back in the World Cup squad. and Now she's playing serious minutes as well. She's being trusted to take penalties in the shootout where Before the tournament, I still think even after that magnificent Tottenham spell, I don't think many people were expecting her her name to be on the list going to Australia just because she was out the squad. And then even once she was in the squad in the pre-tournament friendlies, she didn't get a minute. Whether it was a behind-closed-doors game, the send-off friendly, she just was not getting on the pitch. And now she's in a position where... When Alessio Alessio Russo is brought off, it's Beth England coming on. As for whether I'd start it, I think I'd I'd persist with Alessio Russo for now. I think that's a situation that definitely has potential to change, dependent on how Alessio Russo performs. I just think that she offers so much in terms of there are not many strikers at this entire tournament who have the physical profile of Alessio Russo. And I think that's a bigger benefit to England than people realise. I think people see the sometimes questionable finishing. And I think when you've got Rachel Daly in the squad and Beth England, people are wanting a striker that can come in, get one chance and score. I don't think that's what England need at the minute. I think they need a striker who benefits a lot of the play. And I think that's why I'd continue to start Alessio Russo. But Beth England is right there
0: fair enough all right let's let's quickly move on to sweden because i think that's that's the last one we need, we need we need to talk about oh my god probably my the most intense game of the round probably my favorite game of the round uh just from just from a sheer tactical perspective um obviously our our two our two new blues in 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 uh makario and and, and me official who's obviously just joined in they, their national team is kind of got been knocked out by, by, by the two Swedes of J.R.K. and, and, and Zachir Musovic. Steven, what a game. Like, it, you know, obviously both started, J.R.K. and, and Musovic and Sweden, not the best in this game. I think it's safe to say from, from, a, from, a, from, from, from the playing for the first practically 19 minutes, I, th- I thought the U.S. kind of fixed their tactical issues and kind of came in with a good game plan. I think everything started clicking and working. Um, but Moussevich just did Moussevich things. Did she just channel her inner AKB and and decide to, right, I need to, I need to show people this is why I'm starting for, I need to be starting for Chelsea. I think she saw Nikki Avrad get head into training, Hannah Hampton kind of chilling on the other side, kind of go back, you know, four or five goalkeepers that she got, right, I need to, I need to prove using this World Cup to Emma Hayes. Look, I'm, I'm ready to to, to start every week. Like, let's go. What did you make of of, of uh, start with Musaovic first, and then and then we'll go into into Johanna
1: Ritz and Kannerud. Probably the best performance of the tournament by any player, outfield or goalkeeper. I think she's become a superstar overnight. I think I've been seeing on Twitter all these things about her Instagram followers rising by about a hundred thousand. Does she's just become a superstar? I think. It helps that she's playing against America and that there are so many millions of people watching who were tuning into the game and have seen this goalkeeper pulling off the most incredible saves time after time. I think it's almost like a cheat code for these teams like Sweden who haven't been the most impressive. In a tournament, if your goalkeeper catches form at the right time, she can literally carry you to the final. I think we've seen it before in other tournaments, in in competitions, in the Champions League, in league play in general. If a goalkeeper has a stellar season or a stellar run of games, nothing else really matters. Because your defense, their defence got broken down countless times against the USA. They probably should have conceded five goals, but it literally did not matter. Because they just had a brick wall in goal. who just papered over every single crack in that defence
0: yeah i i i agree and i think i think you know just just the amount ima- i think she ended up making nine saves if I, if memory serves me I'm right lucky. and 11 saves yeah and and i think at least nine out of the 11 saves to me were like top class like got literal like goal preventing saves you know um i think like i mentioned earlier that that lindsey haran shot coming off that left half space was just just it was destined for the corner and then just her dive onto onto her right to, to, to tip that around the corner i think i, I remember ju- jumping off off the sofa and then suddenly i'm like wait what that's 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 been saved like it was it was insane like if there's ever a, a goalkeeping masterclass you just want to watch a goalkeeper save make save after save. this is the game i think to watch and to kind of go back and and do it. like you said the fact that it was against the U.S. in a game that probably the U.S. played the best they have in the entire tournament, and probably for a little while now, and they don't go through on penalties down to a millimeter, it's 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 unreal. And and there was the whole thing about Musevich isn't great at penalties, yet they still got through because of the inability of of some of the American players to to score. Like, you know, um, Megan Rapino missed and 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 whatnot. So. I think it was. I think it was crazy. What did you think of 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 Canard? Canard obviously was part of this game as well. I think she was almost a forgotten player as well. I thought she had a she had a decent spell when she did have her moments. Obviously, not everybody was great up in the wide areas, but I think as the game grew, as it got into extra time, I think I think Canard kind of just did her job uh, to the best of her abilities in whatever space she got. I felt like she she did okay. But what, what was your assessment of of JRK? I
1: think she fills a role in the system well. I don't think. Her performance was particularly memorable because I think when you look back at this game, it's going to be remembered as the Mushevich game. But I think she offers a lot to Sweden in terms of how she fulfills her role. I'm not confident there's another player in that squad who can do what she does. I think maybe it was Sofia Jakobsen who came on in her place, who on ball might have... I think she had Sweden's only shot in target during the game, yeah, so she got on the ball and created things, but I don't think from a system perspective she's maybe as useful for the full 90 minutes as JRK is. I don't think she's going to set the tournament alight, but I think what she is going to do is be a key cog in a Swedish machine that has its weaknesses, but is somehow marching on to the quarterfinals despite all the odds during every game they've seemingly been played. but they're here through Amanda Illa's set piece ability, alone basically, and Musevic in goal. But they're at the quarterfinals now, so all it takes is three more one 0s a few penalty shootouts, <laughs> and they've won a World Cup. Just,
0: just a small matter. Just a small matter of that, and kind of, to kind of finish things off on the same thing. Do you think this, this, this run helps Musovic's Chelsea future? Do you think that? Going back into Chelsea, do you think she just, if she has a really good World Cup, let's say they even reach a semi-final and they get knocked out and she she performs equally as well, do you think that she will then have deserved the number one spot at Chelsea or is that AKBs still when when she goes back?
1: That's such a difficult question because (laughs) there are four international goalkeepers at Chelsea. I don't know what the plan is there. I don't know what Emma Hayes is planning on doing with all those goalkeepers. The training sessions must be Unbelievable. <laughs> I don't know how many goalkeeping coaches are employed by Chelsea, but I think they might need to employ a few more.
0: Yeah.
1: I think it is between AKB and Mucevic for that starting role. I think Hannah Hampton. I'm not sure what what is in the pipeline for her. I don't know if any loan moves are coming to fruition or if she's just going to stay at Chelsea and learn alongside the mass of quality goalkeepers that Chelsea currently have. I think it's still AKB's starting position. I don't think she's done anything to lose that position. I think Musevich has had a sensational World Cup, but I think she also is more likely to have a high profile ever than AKB is. I think AKB is just the most reliable, steady goalkeeper imaginable. She's not gonna make the most acrobatic, mesmerizing saves, but she's also not gonna drop across or come off a line when it's not needed. Whereas I think Mucevic does have a high-profile error in winner, as well as... It's one of those things with goalkeepers where the better saves you make, the more high-profile, simple, in quotation marks, errors they seem to make. And I think Mucevic definitely comes under that. But who knows? If she goes on to win the World Cup and comes back to Chelsea, how do you tell her that she's not starting this season? That's Emma Hayes's problem. I'm just... <laughs> A person on a Chelsea podcast. I'm not paid to make those decisions. Start both of them.
0: Why not? A- AKB striker. Let's, let's let's do it, you know. And Samka's, Sampa's backup is right there. But listen, I, th- I think that's that's a good place to kind of wrap it up. Stephen, thank you so much for coming on. Really, really enjoyed that, that that podcast. Where can people find you? What are you doing? What are you not doing? Let's, let's hear it.
1: Um, well, I'm on Twitter at sjconroy 17 I'm not sure that I'll be of too much interest to Chelsea fans as there's a lot of Everton content there. But if you want to broader your WSL Horizons, good place to do it. Um, Hopefully there'll be some Aggie Beaver Jones content on there next season. I was if, about to mention that, yeah. I was going to say that. Chelsea will, will allow us the pleasure of having her back. That's pretty much it. I don't have my own podcast. Um, That's to reach the level of this behemoth that <laughs> that you have here. which i love by the way what you and jesse do i think it's really there's not many club-centered podcasts in women's football that are as knowledgeable and as dedicated as you so i'll just give you your props at the end of the podcast
0: well i appreciate it just for everyone to know i did not pay him to say that so that is that is all self-love that is also love i appreciate it anyway jesse and i will be back at some point soon, once we figure out time difference between Dubai and, and Australia, but listen Chelsea fans, till then, keep the blue flag flying high. Ooh.